Thank you for joining us for the Lessons from First Naz podcast. Thank you. Um, I want you guys to think to your best day, or if you're like me and you can't ever pick one best anything, your best days, um, what made it good, what... What sticks out to you when you recall that? What feelings and emotions did you have that day? Most of us, that makes us pretty happy. I see more smiles now than I did before I asked that question. Um, recalling those memories are good. Um, and now I'm going to be mean, and I want you guys to think about a not-so-great day in your life. Um, and I don't want you to dwell on it. I don't want us to go to that place. But... Um, Today we're going to be talking about someone who has had the worst day or worst days um, in his response in those worst days. So we're going to be reading from Job today. Um, And Job is a 42-chapter book, so while we'll be talking about the whole book today, we're not going to read 42 chapters because we would be here forever. And also Job is a poem, and I am not an expert reader of poetry like some others. (laughs) Um, But we are going to be reading from Job, and this is a really, this book is a great teaching tool for many reasons. You can hear many different um, sermons preached out of it. And so I encourage you, even though we're not going to read the whole book today, read it this week, or maybe read it over a couple weeks if you're a slow reader. But there's a lot of good things in Job. It's kind of, there's a lot of sad things that happen in Job too. But, um... Just because we're not reading it today doesn't mean you're going to glean everything from it today that there is to be gleaned. So I encourage you to go home and read it um, over the next week or so. But Job's a powerful teaching tool, and um, like I said, it's a poem, and actually, Lord Tennyson, pretty famous poet, he calls it the greatest poem of ancient and modern times. So if you like poetry, maybe that'll make you more inclined to go home and read the whole thing. Um, But we are going to start at... Mostly the beginning. Um, We're going to start at chapter 1, verse 6. And before we go there, I guess it's good to know who Job is. Job is a guy who, um, he's pretty wealthy. He has a lot of things going for him in life. He has, what do they say? Um, 10 children, 7,000 sheep, 3,000 camels, 500 teams of oxen, and 500 female donkeys. And that made you very rich back then. (laughs) I don't know what that translates to today, but Job was the picture of um, just having his life together. He had his family looking like he should. He had, financially, he was secure. And so this is Job, and we're going to jump in first at Job chapter 1, verse 6. One day, the members of the heavenly court came to present themselves before the Lord, and the accuser, Satan, came with them. Where have you come from? The Lord asked Satan. Satan answered the Lord, I have been patrolling the earth, watching everything that has been going on. Then the Lord asked Satan, Have you noticed my servant Job? He is the finest man in all the earth. He is blameless, a man of complete integrity. He fears God and stays away from evil. Satan replied to the Lord, Yes, but Job has good reason to fear God. You have always put a wall of protection around him in his home and his property. 
You have made him prosper in everything he does. Look how rich he is. But reach out and take away everything he has, and surely he will curse you to your face. All right, you may test him, the Lord said to Satan. Do whatever you want with everything he possesses, but don't harm him physically. So Satan left the Lord's presence. So in addition to having all of the things of the earth that would make someone happy, um, the Lord says that Job is blameless and full of integrity. So not only was he successful by worldly standards, he was successful by godly standards. And as we often say in the world still today, that makes you a target for Satan because he doesn't, he doesn't like godly success. Um, and so he, he comes to God and asks, well, yeah, of course he is blameless and has integrity. You haven't made it hard for him. Like, let's see what happens once I take all of those things away from him. He's not going to still love you. He's not going to still be that blameless person full of integrity. And so um, Job's ten kids die in a freak windstorm. He loses all his livestock. Um, He loses all of the things that had marked his worldly success. And um, Satan is probably feeling pretty good about himself. Look at all these things I took. Let's see what happens. And um, this is Job's response after all of the tragedy, all of the worst day things have happened to him. This is how he responds. I came naked from my mother's womb, and I will be naked when I leave. The Lord gave me what I had, and the Lord has taken it away. Praise the name of the Lord. In all of this, Job did not sin by blaming God. Job had... The worst day. My worst day doesn't compare to Job's. And I, I don't know for everybody in here, I'm sure some of you, your worst day does feel like it's on the same level as Job's. But even on my worst day, which I know hasn't been that severe, I had a hard time praising the Lord in that situation. But Job, his response is, it's all the Lord's, so I'm just going to keep praising him. And then we get to chapter 2, both literally chapter 2 in the book of Job, but also figuratively in Job's worst day ever. So starting at chapter 2, verse 1. One day the members of the heavenly court came again to present themselves before Satan, or before the Lord, and the accuser Satan came with them. Where have you come from? Asked, the Lord asked Satan. Satan answered the Lord. I have been patrolling the earth, watching everything that's going on. Then the Lord asked Satan, Have you noticed my servant Job? He is the finest man in all the earth. He is, a blameless, he is blameless, a man of complete integrity. He fears God and stays away from evil. And he has maintained his integrity, even though you urged me to harm him without cause. Satan replied to the Lord, Skin for skin. A man will give up everything he has to save his life, but reach out and take away his health, and he will surely curse you to your face. Satan replied to the Lord, All right, do with him as you please, the Lord said to Satan, but spare his life. 
So Satan left the Lord's presence, and he struck Job with terrible boils from head to foot. Job scraped his skin with a piece of broken pottery as he sat among the ashes. His wife said to him, Are you still trying to maintain your integrity? Curse God and die. So Satan didn't succeed at getting Job to curse God with taking away his things. And so instead of, I guess, giving in, Satan's like, well, that wasn't enough. That, no one's really that attached to their things, but they were humans and were pretty prideful, so they're attached to themselves. And so if I start harming him physically, he's not going to love you anymore. He's not going to give you the honor and respect you deserve. And so he strikes him with boils that, I'm just trying to imagine scraping my skin with broken pottery, and that sounds awful even without the boils that would be big and painful, and so I can't even imagine what pain and what dire straits Job was in in that moment. And everybody else around him is saying, just curse God and die. Even his wife is saying, just curse God and die. But this is Job's response to his wife. But Job replied, you talk like a foolish woman. Should we, only, should we accept only good things from the hand of God and never anything bad? So in all of this, Job said nothing wrong. The story continues, and Job has this conversation a few more times with some friends that come to visit. Um, It goes back and forth, and again, that's where you need to read at home because you don't want me to read your 42 chapters today. But um, throughout the entire 42-chapter conversation, Job maintains this attitude of respect towards the Lord. He never blames him. He never curses him. He experiences the suffering. It was very real. It wasn't that Job wasn't experiencing that pain, the heartache that would come with that, the physical pain that would come with that. But um, he never cursed the Lord. And so another word for what Job, you know, the Lord says he's blameless and has integrity. Another word for that is righteous. Job was a righteous person, which is a word we use a lot in the church, but sometimes don't stop to really think about um, what that exactly means. And so this scripture does a good job of he was blameless, so he was following the laws of the Lord. He was doing the things he was supposed to be doing because the Lord had declared them, and he had integrity. And so he was what he was. He said, you know, he meant what he said. What you saw was what you got with Job. And so... We have this righteous person, and he's experiencing some very significant suffering. He's experiencing the worst day. And a lot of people use this passage, the scripture as a whole, or the book as a whole, to kind of go into the conversation of theodicy, which is why bad things happen to good people. And Certainly, this scripture is very appropriate for that, Um, but that's not where we're going to be going today. We're going to be going along the lines of what good people do when bad things happen to them. Um, And people smarter than me 
taught me a new phrase as I was studying the scriptures, um, and that is unconditional righteousness. So Job was righteous. That was laid out at the beginning of the book. And then Job experienced suffering. And when those two overlap, you get unconditional righteousness. That meant his righteousness wasn't dependent on his circumstances. Even on the worst day, he was still righteous. And that, that's a hard attitude to maintain. <laughs> um, if we're honest with ourselves, we may not be there every time on our worst day. Um, but that's where Job was. And so in the midst of all the suffering, he maintained righteousness and had that unconditional righteousness. How did he do it? I know, like I said, it's hard. It's hard for me. I'm, maybe I'm the only one, but it's hard to maintain that attitude of praising the Lord even in the worst of circumstances. So how did Job do it? Because like we said, for the majority of us, Job's worst day was worse than our worst day. That's not everybody, but I think a lot of us in here would probably agree that Job's worst day kind of had some more suffering in it. So how did he, how did he praise the Lord? He had some identity and he had perspective. When you introduce yourself to someone, what do you say? I'd say, hi, I'm Kaylee. I, if Blake's with me, I would say, this is my husband, Blake. Our kids are running around. These are our kids. You know, I've identified myself as a wife. I've identified myself as a mom. If I'm, you know, talking about the church, oh, yeah, I'm the children's pastor. These are the things that we identify ourselves at. Usually what we do for a living. Um, maybe we talk about where we live. I'm really proud to be from the Pacific Northwest, so that gets worked into conversations a lot. Um, maybe you have a hobby that you really enjoy, and so you really identify with that, and that gets brought into your introduction. There's a bazillion things that um, we identify with. And for the most part, they're all good things. Um, and Job, I'm sure, I'm sure he identified as a father, uh, we didn't read it, but in the scripture, it talks about how his children would have these big parties and feasts that would last for several days. Um, and because he didn't know what went on at these parties when they were over, he would go sacrifice on their behalf because he wanted them to maintain a right relationship with God. Only a loving father does that. So I'm sure Job identified as a father. Um, he was married, obviously. I'm sure he identified as a husband, he had all of this livestock, was very wealthy. I'm sure at le some level he identified with that too. But he also had perspective because even though he identified with all of those things and they were all important to him and they were all good things, nothing was more important than his relationship with God. He... If he would have ranked all the things, I don't know how he would have ranked parent, all of those things, but regardless, at the top was his relationship with God. That was the most important identifying factor in his life. And that is, that is a struggle for us, especially in our world today, because 
were commended for having successful careers or having um, achievements that don't necessarily fall under the realm of a relationship with God. And like I said, those things aren't bad. I'm very proud to identify as a mom and a wife and a pastor. Those things are very important to me. But they can't be more important than identifying as a child of God. And Job understood that, and sometimes I don't understand that. And I'm sure there's others in this room that sometimes struggle to remember that. And that's where this idea of perceived identity versus true identity comes into play. Our true identity is that we are children of God, and that is the most important thing. But sometimes we don't always perceive that as our identity. We let the world tell us our identity is other things, and there are other things that are more important than being children of God. The world can't take away the truth that we are children of God, but they can make us believe that something else is more important. And so it is our job to reorient our minds to the point where we are living within that true identity instead of the perceived identity that is going on around us. So I don't know. I Let's just take a minute and think about all of the things that we identify as. Do you identify? I know I see some teachers out here. That's really important. I see um, medical professionals out here. I see people who do all sorts of things. I'm going to be here all day if I say what you all do. But you probably identify with that because our careers are very important to us. I see moms, dads, grandparents, friends, brothers, sisters. That's important to us. Those are things that we identify as. Do we identify with those things more than we identify with being a child of God? When we really stop to think about it, do we put those things above our identity in God sometimes? Because that's what the world tells us to do. That's what the world tells us is important. God wants to tell you that being his child is the most important. That's what he wants to tell you today and tomorrow and every other day. He wants to be your number one identifying factor so that when the bad things happen, we may not have a day like Job, but we're going to have bad things happen. Um, I can't answer the theodicy question today. I don't know why bad things happen, but I know they happen, and, and God wants us to have our identity in him because if Job had continued to, or if he had cursed God or been uh, felt abandoned by God, how much worse would that day have been than he was in the place of being able to praise God still? So he still had that relationship with God, even though everything else had gone away. But if we let the world take that away too, we don't really have anything left on those bad days. How do, we, how do we elevate God to that number one identifying ranking? How do we let God tell us that we are his children and that is most important in our litany of things we use to describe ourselves? The reality is, at some level, it's on us. We have to allow God in more. We have to let him speak more loudly 
than the voices around us telling us that the other things are more important. We have to be more vulnerable with him. We have to give more of ourselves to him. Um, I took a theology class a while back, and we talked about the idea of a house. And I think there's a a book about this, too. I cannot remember the title, though. Um, We are a house, and we get to invite God in to our house. And so some of us, we may stop God in the living room because that's the only place we feel is company ready. Some of us may say, like, oh, you can come into the kitchen. It's a little messy, but I'll, you know, it's pretty good. And some of us, um, we're more open and we say, okay, God, like, the bedrooms, they're kind of a mess, but come on in, stay a while, you know, make yourself at home, but just don't go downstairs to the basement. The basement <laughs> looks like what my basement storage room looks like. Just, you can't come in there. That's not company ready. And, you know, we all have different levels, but in order to truly allow your identity as a child of God to be the number one thing, God has to be allowed in your whole house, even where it's ucky and yucky and messy. And he's going to help you clean those things up. He's not going to judge you or um, he's going to say, we need to get on this, but he's going to be there with you. And it makes me kind of think um, when I was pregnant with Lucy, our house was really messy. It was right before she was due. And my mom came and cleaned all of the things that I was embarrassed that like hadn't been cleaned in nine months. And no one else probably will ever see those dirty places. But she cleaned my microwave out that I hadn't cleaned out in a long time. And I think she did my baseboards that I had let go for a while. And God wants to do that. My mom wasn't there saying, well, how dare you let your microwave get this dirty? She was there cleaning with a smile, helping me out in that moment. And that's, when you let God into your whole house, that's kind of what it's like. And you develop an ease of relationship there that then when those bad times come, you are still his child and he's going to work with you. So you have to invite him in and then you have to elevate him. You have to consciously decide my identity in him is more important than these other things I identify in. That doesn't mean that those other things aren't important. Now, that's between you and God. Maybe he is saying that something isn't important. But for the most part, those other things we identify in are good things. They're good things from him. But he needs you to make the conscious decision to elevate him above those things. And then he'll work with you to really work your heart out to make that a reality. But it's not going to happen on accident. It's not going to happen by you just keep living your life. Because the world is loud. The world is going to keep saying that your job is more important or your kids are more important. And those are important things. They are. But God needs you to make the conscious choice that your identity as his child is more important. And in that, he's going to help you find peace. He's going to help you find contentment. He's going to help you find joy. So when the bad stuff comes, you're going to still feel the pain. You're still going to feel the sadness or the negative emotions that come with that. But you'll be able to be like Job. We'll be able to be like Job. This is as much to me as it is 
for all of you guys, but we will get to be like Job and say, I praise you, Lord. You gave me all of these things, and so now they're gone, and I'm still going to praise you because you are the number one identifying factor in my life. And that'll help us reorient the way we think and the way we process those hard times. Job could have sat there and said, woe is me, and cursed God, and had a pity party, and all the things that we like to do, because we are humans and we sometimes like to focus on our own woe instead of on the joy that we can have in the Lord. And if Job would have done that, he would have missed out on the joy of the end of the story. So now I'm going to go to the end of the book. So if you're going to read it, now you know how it ends. (laughs) Um, Chapter 42, verse 12. So the Lord blessed Job in the second half of his life even more than in the beginning. For now he had 14,000 sheep, which is double than what he had before, 6,000 camels, 1,000 teams of oxen, and 1,000 female donkeys. So the Lord doubled all of his livestock. He also gave Job seven more sons and three more daughters. He named his first daughter Jemiah, the second Keziah, and the third Karen Hapuk. In all the land, no women were as lovely as the daughters of Job, and their father put them into his will along with their brothers. Job went on to live another 140 years, seeing four generations of his children and grandchildren. Then he died, an old man who lived a long, full life. Job had the worst day. And then he had some more worst days after that. But that wasn't what Job thought about at the end of his life. The scripture doesn't say, but I certainly believe that Job missed his children that he had lost for the remainder of his life. That didn't go away. I'm sure he remembered the worst days. You know, he didn't forget that they happened. But the Lord reoriented his thinking so he could find joy and contentment and fulfillment in what he was blessed with throughout his life, um, both before and after the worst days. Because his identity was not and things he had or the things that were taken away, but his identity was in being a child of God. And no one could take that away from him unless God said, you're not my child anymore. And what we know about God from the scriptures is he doesn't say that to us. We are his children. We can't, that cannot be undone. No matter what bad thing happens, just because natural disasters happen, like the hurricane that is hitting or just hit the Carolinas or bad things that may come as consequences of sin. You know, bad things happen. They cannot take away our identity as a child of God. And so I want us to take some time and think about the things that we really hold as core identifying factors. And then if God is at the top, being a child of God is at the top of that list, sit and be joyful in that. And ask God to protect that knowledge from the pressures of the world. And if God is not at the top, being a child of God is not at the top of that list, let's 
pray together um, that he helps change our hearts so he moves to the top of the list. And like I said, the first step to that is saying, this needs to change, and I'm making a conscious decision that this is going to change. And then God will continue to work with us if we keep saying, this needs to change. So you may need to pray right now, God, this needs to change. I'm making the conscious decision that this needs to change. You might need to pray that again in an hour, and then you might need to pray that again tomorrow, and the next day, and the next day. And that's how... That's really how it's going to change because it's going to be a consistent conscious decision. And that's true for those of us that might already really use that as our number one identifying factor, that we are children of God. Don't rest on your laurels because the world's going to try to take that away. Satan, you saw how mad he was when Job didn't curse God when he took all those things. Satan's not going to be happy if you really reside in that knowledge that you are a child of God, and that is most important. So he's going to try to take that away. So be vigilant, be proactive, be praying each day that God would protect that knowledge in your mind and in your heart. So let's pray together. We'll take a few minutes just to pray individually. Let's let God come and speak to us and work on our hearts with us. And then we, uh, I'll pray for us and then... uh, I'll give the benediction and we can go and eat lunch a little early today. (laughs) Lord, the world tries to tell us what we should identify as the most important things in our life. And very rarely are they telling us that our identity as a child of God is that number one thing, Lord. And we've been sitting examining our hearts, trying to find where we maybe aren't giving you that top spot in all of the things we list is our identifying factors, Lord. And so first we just want to say, forgive us for not elevating you to where you belong. Second, we want to say, we are making the conscious decision today to elevate you. And we're going to need your help to do that, Lord. Um, We just ask for you to come and begin the transformative work in our hearts so that you continue continue to be elevated so that when the worst day comes, we say, I am a child of God. Praise the Lord. And when the best days are here, let us be grateful for those, but let us also in the day by saying, I am a child of God. Praise the Lord. Don't work with us just now, Lord. Go with us. Work with us again in a half hour, in three hours, tonight when we go to bed, tomorrow morning, on Wednesday, next Saturday. Lord, keep working with us so that we can be vigilant against the attacks of the enemy and the attacks of society on our mindset so that we don't ever forget that our number one identity is as a child of God and that is enough to have joy and peace and contentment.